Welcome to The Francisca Show, the show on which people share their stories. This is the Survivor Special, No More Silence, where survivors of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse come forward to share their experiences, thereby raising awareness and preventing the likelihood of it happening again. No further research has been done into these stories. This episode is intended for mature audiences and listener discretion is strongly advised. The names have been changed to provide some privacy to our dear and brave guests sharing their very vulnerable and personal experiences. I am Francisca and you are listening to No More Silence on The Francisca Show. Today we have Susan on the show with us who will be sharing her personal experiences with us. So welcome to the show, Susan. It's so nice to have you. You are our first guest on this segment. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So I'll give you the mic and I'll let you start wherever you feel like it began, wherever you feel comfortable sharing. Okay, thank you. I am a childhood sexual abuse and childhood rape survivor. I say both because it's two very different types of abuse. And I I was sexually abused and raped by many different people in my childhood. It began at a really, really early age. I was approximately two and a half years old when it first started. And I was around 12 when it finally, all of it finally ended. What I remember is, is that my brother, who is approximately two and a half years younger than me, that it started a bit after he was born. And it was by, like most commonly or very commonly, by a family member, a close family family member who didn't live with us. This person, the abuser, told me that my parents were very busy with my brother, taking care of him, etc., And the feeling I get today is that that was like a a way that he planned it because I'm pretty sure that my behavior did change for the worst. And my parents just thought, oh, she's jealous. She has a new sibling. And um, I remember one of the first times it happened. I won't get into details, but it was pretty disgusting. Or for a young child, it was. As it continued, part of me knew that there was something weird about it. But I was so, so young. I didn't really understand what was going on. And I didn't really understand it. He kept telling me this is how we expressed our love for each other. And I think I just believed him. He would take me out for ice cream often after. He would give me treats. He would tell me what a big girl I was and how proud he was of me. So that's all part of, if you've heard of, and the listeners grooming, it was all part of it. Yet I don't remember him ever threatening me, but he really didn't have to. I was so familiar with him, and I couldn't understand what was going on. Wow. So at what age would you say you have your first memories? People in general don't have such vivid memories of when they were two years old unless trauma Mm -hmm. happened. So Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how far does your memory go? Yeah, I remember. You know what? 
my first, first memory is of my brother being born. And on both my side of the family and also my husband said as well, he even remembers a little younger, like around two. But I don't think it's a possible to remember before that. But it's really sad. I don't. I have one memory before the abuse starting, and that's my brother being born and being told I have a brother now. So. He was born two years, five months. And just to add, it, it is truly horrific because I know that this happened to me, and unfortunately I've heard of even younger. I've been in survivors groups where the women were one and a half when they were started to be sexually abused, even one that was told and was in a foster home and hospital record show she was six months old when it began. So with I have three daughters, by the way, and all three of them, I started educating them around the age it started at two and a half. And I've read a lot of material. I've heard, watched YouTube videos, and they all recommend it's never too early. You can be too late, but not too early. So around two to three is a really good age to start with body awareness and body safety. And I start then. So what would be some simple conversations you would have with a two-year-old? How do you have this conversation? The names of their body parts, the correct names. I also tell them the correct and autonomously correct name on a male's body. And I say that these parts are private. And no one's allowed to touch them. And with I, with my first daughter, I did it more. The second and third, not as much. It's more conversation and bringing it up every once in a while. And as I get older, adding more, either more detail or talking about secrets and saying that if anyone ever touched certain private parts, this is what I'd like you to do. And as they get a little older, it's it's an ongoing conversation, asking right. what would you do? And there's actually a book I have, I've had since I was a child. Ironically, my parents, they just didn't know. I They didn't talk to me about this until I was around seven or eight, and it was far, far too late. And in the book, it talks about different stories. And it's okay to say no, and it's all about sexual abuse prevention, and the stories are for the children. And then you read it to the child, and then ask, what would you do? But as they get a little older, like at around five, five and a half, I start talking about, even before that, secrets and about how secrets should never be kept from your parents. But I distinguish that a surprise is different than a secret. So I say, say someone in our family was having a surprise party. That's a surprise. That's not a secret. I also talk to them about that, especially with my older kids that there may be a time where a friend is getting hurt or someone's touching them the wrong way or something like that. And they may tell you not to tell anyone, but that's the time you do tell any, tell someone I'd like you to tell them that we have to go tell a teacher or the guidance counselor Mm -hmm. and you can help them. It's not a secret that should be kept. Right. Oh, so I'd like to go more a little deeper into your story. When I was around five and a half or six, he started to take the abuse further. He kept trying to penetrate me with a certain body part, and I would scream or start to almost cry, and he would stop and say, oh, I guess you're not ready yet, 
we'll try again. But he made me, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he, he kept saying that when he was able to, he'd be really, really proud of me. And as sick as it may sound, but really I was just really confused and I loved him so much and I didn't understand. I knew I was scared, but I knew this was our special secret. I could tell that he was going to be really proud when he was able to. And when he did really rape me gently, but it totally was rape, but he did in his own very manipulative, conniving way, he told me how proud he was of me and what a big girl I was. But it's really, really sad. I was only about six years old. I think the way it is, when the abuse is happening, for the period of time it's happening, uh, the mind is in survival mode. And then once the balloon bursts or the secret pops, you get the belief or your parents on board. I don't know how it worked in your situation. But when the balloon bursts, that's where a lot of it really kicks in. And that's when comprehension of what has been happening starts to sink in. And that's when a lot of the work and a lot of the actual damages of abuse start to come to the surface. Dealing with it. Not that I'm saying you haven't been dealing with it, but it comes out. So at what point was that for you and how did that happen? Oh my gosh, I was so much older and it just continued. If I thought of telling anyone, I don't even remember, but I, just like actually studies show that most survivors don't tell when the abuse is going on. And when they do, it's, they're usually, unfortunately, not believed, especially since so many are abused by family members, close family friends, and whoever they tell is usually in denial and should be helping them, but don't instead. But for me, I didn't know until I was much older. And that's a bit of a long story. I'm not sure exactly. But when he passed away, and I don't want to get into too much detail about that, but when he did, it stopped. But as I'm going to tell you in a second, everything was far, far from over because while I was being abused by him, he was the first abuser and the longest. I was also sexually abused and raped by many other abusers, minimum once and maximum five or more times each. So I, I know I didn't quite answer your question. I'm just really not sure because it's been just such a long time, but I was much older, like at least 12. I should tell you about this, very difficult and very horrific, but when I was six years old, I remember having a babysitter who was also my counselor at day camp. And I remember not liking her that much. And I remember my parents having her babysit, I think it was once, I don't think it was more. And everything seemed like it was going basically okay until something weird happened. She said her her two friends, so-and-so and so-and-so, to this day, actually, I don't even know their names or don't remember them. They're coming over. Don't tell my parents. I even remember they came through the garage. Eventually, they made their way to my room. And herself and the two guys... They all three of them took turns raping me and they were really 
quite sadistic and very evil. And it may sound a bit unusual that it's it was a female, but it's really, really underreported, and a lot of people are really scared to talk about it. But she was just as much a part of it as they were. She even arranged for it because they told me she they were looking for someone and she offered me. And there's so many details I won't share about that, but it was really bad and really scary. And I think I remember them going to a wedding and her saying, oh, they're not going to be home for a long time. They went to a wedding and they really like they cleaned up all their tracks and they hid everything. If I was bleeding, they cleaned everything up and made me take a shower. But I realize now, and I only realized this in the last few years because of what was happening with the other family member, there was really very, would have been very, very little physical evidence because of that before. And I'd like to say that was the only time that ever happened, but it really, really wasn't. I am so sorry this happened over and over. It's just my heart's like skipping a beat. So I know you don't have one particular moment this happened, but did you share this with your parents at one point? Not till I was a lot older. I also had another abuser who was a swim instructor. Right now, to this day, or in the last few years, I find that that's less traumatizing. And I was eight years old compared to these. And I told them first about him. I think I was 11. And what I didn't mention is that a lot of these memories, if not most, were repressed, totally repressed and partially repressed. So when I was 11 years old, I started having memories come back about the swimming instructor. And I, I told my parents about him first. I didn't even completely understand it myself, and it was a little foggy at first. And then I told them a little more, and then I remembered a lot more at 14 and 15. But it was a very slow, gradual process with them. I think denial was a big part of it as well. And with as for the family member, you don't even want to know. We do have a relationship today, but they're just in too much denial. I believe they have to be in denial to survive. They don't think I'm lying. They just don't believe it really happened. And that has been hard, but I believe they have to be. I've come to a place of acceptance overall. And were they the first people you shared this with? I think so. I also told a few friends that same year and they either didn't about the swimming instructor. They didn't know what to say. They didn't understand what I was talking about. And they were young also. But no one knew about the um, babysitter and her boyfriends or the family member for many, many, many years. And that was the hardest to talk about. Even now, like these people at the camp, it happened three or four more times on campgrounds, maybe even five. And there was an overnight and I don't quite understand how it all happened, but they found their ways. And I really believe to this day, they picked me out. They thought I was more vulnerable 
or could even tell that I'd been abused before. Like they knew I wasn't going to tell. And they did really, really evil, torturous things to me. Involved a whole, whole bunch of people and even took pictures and a video. And they really, they wanted to terrify me. They laughed at that. And to this day, I've made a, a huge, wonderful life for myself. Yet I do have complex PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is post-traumatic stress disorder to a more severe and complicated extent. Because people think of PTSD, they think of one event, but I was abused over and over and over again for a long period of time in my childhood at a very early age. So there's all kinds of additional symptoms. And I also do have depression and anxiety but I'm on medication and I've been going to therapy for years and it helps a lot. But I honestly think because what I experienced is so horrific, it's going to take a long time, a long, long time to heal completely. And I have healed a lot, but there's still a very long way to go as well. Right. Thanks for bringing therapy up. It sounds like that was... That was the beginning of your journey to finding a healing, to finding answers, but uncovering your life and really unpuzzling your unusual, terrible, terrifying experience that you had as a child, which no child should ever or grown up should ever have to experience. So can you go into your journey toward healing and what that looked like? It actually started... At the very beginning, kind of like my first start at healing, but very, very slowly at a very young age. And I'll backtrack a little, but I'll mention this first. When I was 15, my parents, they have, they really have helped me a lot. They didn't see everything, but I was um, brought to a 12-step program, which you might be able to guess. I was drinking a lot. I did try some drugs, but that wasn't the main thing. And my parents had caught me a few or several times over the years, but I actually did begin drinking at 11 and getting drunk shortly after. And by the time I was 13, 12 even, 12 or 13, I was probably getting drunk at least once a week and preferring to drink alone. And I had some friends that started drinking, but not till 13 or 14. And part of it was... I was able to drink myself and my friends didn't as well as I really was using it as a way to cope. And as it continued, I couldn't stop. And it's a very long story, but my parents finally were totally aware of it. They caught me one day when I was really, really drunk and I always tried to hide it. And overall I did, but they found me and I started going to 12 step meetings and I had read the year before, I don't, you've heard of Drew Barrymore, the actress? Yes. When I was 14, I read her book, Little Girl Lost. And she, she was drinking even younger, nine, smoking pot at 10, using cocaine at 12. She went to rehab for her first time at only 12 years old. And wh- after I read that book, I can't remember what drew me to it. At 14, I started thinking that I had a drinking problem. I wondered if I was too young to be an alcoholic. But I remember trying to cut down first. I did try to stop and I did go back to it. I may may have made it a whole month. But at that age, kids probably are just starting to experiment. Some of them and some don't. But I was really hooked. And that summer at overnight camp, I told 
a girl about my drinking. I told her that I've been very depressed. I've been suicidal. I never had an attempt. And thankfully, I never did. But I come close and that I was trying to stop. But it wasn't until the next year that my parents kind of intervened. And I started going to meetings. I started going very regularly. And I actually realized that I was an alcoholic at that young age of 15. And I was one of the youngest people, but not the youngest. But at my home group, I was the only girl that, or boy that was any close to that age. There was a few others that were 18. But I actually, in my time in that program, the youngest, youngest age I met was a 12-year-old boy. But I only met him once and a few other 13-year-olds. And so what I'm getting to... I started having more and more flashbacks and more and more memories come back when I got sober. I stayed sober three months and I had a relapse where I drank again, I think another three months and I drank again, but it's amazing I was able to put it together at all. But I was, even though I, I didn't even tell you any consequences, but it's kind of, we don't have all the time in the world, but I definitely did have a lot. My school really suffered and I got to be the most depressed and suicidal I had ever been. And somehow, I don't know how, at 15, I connected to that the drinking was making me feel much worse. Friends were getting mad at me. My boyfriend was getting mad at me. I'd embarrassed all kinds of different things. But it was called like a very high bottom. And I used to say when I used to speak at these meetings that I didn't um, lose my job. Well, I was too young to have one. I never lost my house. Too young to own one. And I didn't lose a car. I wasn't allowed to drive. And everyone would laugh a little, but no one has to go all the way to becoming homeless or being in jail to have to, to be able to accept or admit that they're an alcoholic or an addict. And so what you asked is related to this. So when I was sober a few months, I was starting to have more and more flashbacks, more and more memories, having a really, really hard time. I went to my parents and I told them, I told them about another abuser, which I didn't mention. I don't think I'm really necessarily going to now. Another abuser, the last one when I was 12. It had happened a few times. And I said, I really need help. That's all I said. And they called somewhere and they arranged for me to see a woman. The only thing is, is that she was trying to pull it out of me who this abuser was that abused me most recently. She was trying to encourage me to charge the person. I wasn't really all that comfortable. And she had a rule. Every week, you can only talk about something to do with abuse, either sexual abuse, either physical abuse or bullying, but it has to be about abuse. And it was too much. It was very overwhelming. And she really didn't. She was the first person I ever saw, but it wasn't very pleasant. It was a start. I actually read The Courage to Heal at 15 and several other books, and I started journaling and writing. So it was a start, but then it was put on the back burner for years. I ended up going to treatment when I was 16, rehab. I had one more slip, relapse, drinking and using drugs, and I went to rehab for five months. And at that center in the U.S., there were different groups and all different programs. There's one called survivors group for different types of sexual and even physical abuse and girls that were involved in prostitution. And you're probably not going to be too surprised, but a very, very high majority were sexually abused as children or teens or were involved in prostitution, like way higher than 50% and a lot of the boys as well. But I wasn't even ready for that group. I would sit there 
and they would tell me I was emotionless and every week other girls would share about what happened to them. But they said, you don't look upset, you never cry. And I said, well, I don't feel like crying, but my feelings were very, very blocked. So that was my first point of healing, but then I didn't again seek anymore. And I, when I came back from rehab, I told my parents, I didn't want to go to that therapist anymore. She's not good for me. I don't like her, whatever. And it wasn't until my early 20s where I attempted it again. At the same time as that therapist, I was going to a really good program for children, youth, and adults, both male and female. And for teenage girls, they have a separate teenage girls group. And so it's both therapy as well as some girls that may be going to court. And they start groups as young as three years old. But mostly those are children that, thankfully... And there, I hope there's more of them that have reported or did disclose and there's something being done about it and they're going to court or trying to. But it was a whole mixture. I was in that group and it was useful. But again, I really felt emotionless. I just wasn't ready. But again, when I was about early 20s, I tried something like that again. And then I went to another group. But the same kind of thing. I started to wonder why don't I feel anything? I feel, actually, I felt very ashamed, which I didn't mention till now. I really, really thought the abuse was my fault. And I felt really embarrassed about the different types of things that had happened to me. And sometimes I had nightmares, but I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel angry. And I had never, ever cried about what happened to me. And I witnessed other women, most a lot older than me, crying. And then again, I decided, you know what? Uh, maybe other people are just telling me I need to talk about it, but I don't even feel like it. Why am I letting other people tell me? And by then I did stay sober after treatment. I was, I was in college and I had like five years sober and then six and eight and 10 after college, but it, it just wasn't right for me. So it was after my first child was born. She's a young teenager now when she was about, one and a half, under two, it hit me like you wouldn't believe. I started having flashbacks. I started getting new memories and then more and more. And I started crying tons. I started looking at her without meaning to. I just did. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I was so, so young when these horrible, horrible things happened to me. And for the first time, it hit me like you wouldn't believe or and I couldn't believe and I didn't understand why this was happening. But when I finally reached out, I tried to manage on my own for a few months. And then I ended up calling somewhere and they said that having your own children and and or when you're around the age when the abuse started is a major, major trigger, which I didn't even know. But that validated it. But it was really, really hard, I think. For about after that, and I started seeking help, I started to see a therapist and go to a group every week. I probably was crying every day or two for a month or more. I, it was, it was, it's part of the process, the grieving process, and what's called the emergency stage. I just felt so awful. I felt so, so sad that I, I kept having these thoughts. I was never innocent. I was never a virgin. How could people do these things to young children and then I'd look at my daughter and it would start over and over again and there was very little escape but eventually things got better with time and therapy 
yet it, it's been an ongoing process really all these years. I'd like to say that I'm not sad about it anymore, but that's far from the truth. Now it comes in boats and spurts. I have a few children and each of them has re reached their two different ages. There's around two or close to two and six. And those are my major trigger ages. And I've had to go through it with all three children. Wow. And do you have a partner? Yes, yes. I've been married for several years. And my husband, he is so, so supportive of me in every way. Supportive of my addiction recovery. Supportive of my healing journey with the sexual abuse and my mental health issues. And he, he believes that I will heal completely one day. I may be much, much older then. But he always tells me it's going to take a long time. And I read in books and I hear other people talk that it's typical. And there's no typical length of time. Yet the ones that started very young and for a long period of time or a close family member and or a lot of violence. And for me, it encompasses all that. If it involved intercourse or gang rape, for me, all that, unfortunately, it makes sense that the healing takes a long time. But I am so proud I have healed a lot just to be able to talk to you. It was about five years ago, maybe even six, that slowly but surely on my Facebook page, first I started to, I think I accidentally or without meaning to, or maybe I was curious, came across women and men's childhood sexual abuse survivors pages, and they'd share either a little bit or a lot of their story. And some of them had, most of them had their full name, some had their picture, some both. And I started to, I don't know what made me want to, to share little tidbits as well. And at first they were just, my kids make fun of me. Sometimes I call them memes or memes. And I think it is a meme, but I'm getting a little old. I'm in my early forties. So I share those memes, I think they're called. And yeah. I wasn't saying anything about myself, but it would kind of be possibly people wondering, okay, maybe she's a survivor too. And then more and more. And then I think it was about five to five and a half years now. It was on, it was in April, which is Childhood Sexual Abuse or Sexual Abuse Both Awareness Month. I decided instead of just little lips, and there were more and more, I decided to share about a paragraph about my story, whatever I decided to share. And about 50 to 80 people, and then it grew more on my page read it. And I got a lot of nice responses as well as a few that weren't so nice. Like, are you okay with the whole world knowing? Or are you sure you want everyone to know? And from then on, I decided and I told my husband, he was so supportive, I started to share more and more. And um, sometimes I share more often, sometimes less. But my I had two purposes. One, that I thought it would really help other survivors. And I've been told by many people it has, many people that I knew for a number of years or some that I just knew a little bit like I went to school with, but I was never really friends with them, shared about their story with sometimes not even sexual abuse, sometimes physical abuse, sometimes rape as an adult or a teenager or a mixture of both. They told me it really helped them. They think I'm really brave. And a really big step was almost four years now. A lot of people online know this page, 
I had added her as a friend. She looked at my page and literally within, we started chatting. It was someone I went to high school with, but I never knew really well. I knew what she did and I knew the page she had, which had about over a few thousand followers. She asked me if I would consider being featured on her page, sharing my story of sexual abuse. And it would be public on a public page. I said I'd never done that before, but I thought it could be a really good idea. I was just worried that certain people, which I didn't mention, unfortunately, people in my family that to this day don't know that I share semi-publicly or publicly about my story. And I want to keep that relationship. And I think some of it is denial and some of it is just me feeling that they wouldn't be okay with it. And I want to have a relationship. So they don't know, they don't see, they're not on my list or they're just completely blocked. So I did. I shared my story. It was in it wasn't an interview. It was a paragraph, actually 200 words or less, I think, which was kind of hard. And then it was edited by her and then it was featured. And tell you the truth, it may sound funny to you. It may not. It was one of the most exciting and fulfilling days of my life when it was posted, my story. I can imagine. It's such validation and it's such a liberation of your story, something that's so hushed hushed and it was so repressed for so long suddenly you liberated it into the world yep and it had my whole full name and my picture and i did i i decided to reshare it on my facebook page but by then a lot of people more people than not knew tidbits about my story and it was so nice it was so warm there was people from all over the world that either liked it or loved it There was many comments, not nearly as many, but some were just so warm and so sweet. And um, it just made me feel really good. And I hoped I was reaching other people. And that was a really big step for me. And as I said, I decided a family member may see it, but I was going to take that chance. And my husband backed me up 100% that it was worth the risk. I would like to connect these stories somehow to bringing awareness specifically to the Jewish community. So if there are any thoughts or any part of the story that somehow relates to the Jewish community in particular, I know abusers do not discriminate. It's not like it's a Jewish problem or a Gentile problem. It's a human problem. Definitely. I know for some survivors, it's it's directly related with their Judaism or religion because Mm -hmm. Their abusers were either of religious uh, authority, right. like a rabbi or a rabbi. Yeah, not so much, but in a few different ways, as well as in the present. So I think I was around 15, 16, 17, and again, more so in my 20s. I didn't grow up religious, but I am now. But I, I grew up traditional, kind of, but not religious at all either. But I remember thinking once I started going to that group and there was one other girl that was Jewish, the rest weren't. And throughout the years, I went to many different survivor groups. And again, not that many Jewish people, but there were some here and there. I remember thinking that I thought it was very weird and odd. Like I thought sexual abuse in families or incest, the word is incest. A lot of people think it's just by your father or brother, or stepfather, or grandfather. It could be anyone in your family. I think that's what incest is. Some people connect it even further to be any very close relationship that's like a trusting relationship. So I used to think and feel like kind of stigmatized, and I thought, oh, my gosh, 
I was abused by family member as well as I didn't mention all of them, but other people in a position of power. I'm like, this must be so rare in the Jewish community. And this is so strange. I, I must be some weirdo. But I found out later, and actually I found out in my 12-step program too, I met many female and male survivors. And I met many too that were Jewish. And a, lo a lot of them were sexually abused as children and many by family too. And then I was a little confused thinking, this is not so rare, but I still felt pretty bad about it. And there is one more thing I'd like to add. I don't think I'm supposed to mention the name, but I'm a member of an online support group connected through JCW for female childhood sexual abuse survivors, which by the way is any one up to about 16 or even 18, even in the teenage years, that's still childhood sexual abuse. If it was someone at least a few years older or in their 20s or 30s, even if they're 14 or 15. And that group is really, really helpful to me. It's it's a, a group that's like online. If anyone is interested in this group, there's also a male survivors group. They could private message someone at JCW or the JCW Facebook page and they can link them to it or be added. I know it's helped me so much and it's continued to help a lot of people. This is really strong and powerful. Thank you. And emotional. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Any other reflections on your life, on your healing process? Oh, yes. Something I forgot to add. One side, it's a reflection. On the other side, it's a huge challenge that I, I deal with on an ongoing basis. As I said, I repressed a lot of the abuse and completely, some of it, I completely blocked out. That was the way I had to survive. In the last, actually, I don't even know when it happened more. There were certain ages, like when my daughter was almost two. And again, when my first child was six, I had a flooding of new memories and that's been off and on for the last several years. And I never, ever have gone more than, in the last eight years, gone more than five months without one new memory. Usually it's closer to minimum one every three months or maximum. This was this summer. It was a really challenging summer for about a month to six weeks. I had a flooding of memories where in a two or three day period, I had five new horrific unimaginable memories of actually it was mostly about the teenage boys and the girl and the other people who gang raped me and tortured me sadistically at the camp. And my therapist has told me and what I've come to believe is that I was ready and more ready for it and having more and more memories helped me heal. But at one point I was crying again every day, every two days, sometimes multiple times. I was like, so traumatized and really scared, but I reached out to all my supports. I posted more in the group. I tried to have more regular meetings and I have several friends that I, when I say talk to, it's more like texting and talking to my husband more and letting myself cry as much as I needed to. That's happened to me several times over the years, but this summer may have been one of the hardest. And and then I may have had like a week break and I had another few memories again. And eventually it stopped. But as horrible as they were, there's one really good friend of mine who I met through my program. And I told her one of them and again another 
while I was waiting to see my therapist because keeping it to myself was just too disturbing. But she, she's been through a lot in her life as well as in other people's lives. And she was able to not be too shocked or if she was, I couldn't tell and just express how sorry she was and that I'm a true survivor and so brave and look how much I've accomplished in my life. Wow. This just sounds so heart-wrenching because it almost sounds like the more you pick yourself up and the more you work through your your life and your and what happened to you the more it's like the next shoe drops or the next mm. the bigger thing drops and stabs you and it's like what's going to happen next and it's just you can't even put it behind you fully i do have long periods of time sometimes i had one longish period and i guess maybe it made me ready for it i went through a few months without even crying about the abuse once and that might not seem so big to you but to me to go a few months without crying about it once without any new memories and just thinking about it sometimes off and on it's that that's pretty stable for me and i really believe that all of it comes from hashem and i never get more than i can handle so i do truly have a challenging life, but I also have a very wonderful life. And I'm a very positive thinker and positive person. And even when I'm going through a harder time or my mental health issues are more severe, I take a lot of time to do self-care. My kids are in school now. I don't work, actually. It's a mixture of I choose not to as well as I don't really believe that I could handle it this time in my life. But I try to enjoy every single day. And I try to do as much self-care as I need to do to get me through a hard time or even a normal time. And self-care isn't just, oh, getting a manicure, pedicure, or buying a lot of new clothes. I actually don't. People that know me well, I don't like shopping. I don't like makeup. For me, I, I love a bath or a bubble bath. I love to read. I love to walk in nature or coffee with a really good friend. And I love listening to music, mostly music from the 80s and early 90s of various types, or even just taking myself out for lunch the odd time or with a friend. It can come in so many shapes and so many different ways. It doesn't have to be expensive. But I make sure that if I'm going through an especially rough time to really take care of myself and then otherwise I don't think I'd be able to take care of my kids. And all the hard times that I've had, I'm really, really proud to say that I am still sober. I've never drank again since almost 16. I'm, I celebrated 25 years of sobriety a few years ago. Now I have 27, I think it is. Sometimes I lose track. And I also didn't have a suicide attempt either. And I'm not, I don't want it to come across as there are many survivors that do. And unfortunately, some that lose their lives and lose the battle. That's no judgment. But I didn't. And I've gone for help for other different issues. One was for a mild eating disorder many years ago. And at one point, I had another issue. So I'm really open-minded to accepting different types of help. And I've been trying a few different things recently. And I've started to add a very unique meditation to get me ready for a real possible healing opportunity for me that can help me 
get further faster because it has been really a long road. But I really, truly believe my motto is that I'll never give up. I really deserve to live a wonderful life. And I really, truly do believe I live as good a life as I can and a wonderful life. I'm so grateful. This is so beautiful. Thank really you. sound like an extremely brave, strong woman who has built a life for herself with loving and supporting people around you. I just get the feeling that you are someone who fights every day for a good day, for a good life. You're fighting for others too. And that's so empowering and inspiring. Thanks. I'm sure you're going to help a lot of people with sharing your story. And I hope so. We wish you strength. Thank you. Thank you so much for you're welcome. Sharing and thank story. you for having me. Thank you so much. If you would like to write in or request to be on the show, please do so by emailing me at franciscak at gmail.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A-K-A-Y at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and go to iTunes and leave us a good review. With your review, the show will rank higher and help others discover the show. This Francisca Show podcast will be hosting a No More Silence special on abuse once a month. However, do check in on other weeks for the interviews with female Jewish creatives. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.